from the 97.7 WAOB Studios at 6th and Bustering Streets in downtown Vincennes. It's time now for Legal News and Views. Now, here's Dave Rulligan and Jeff Cobb with Legal News and Views. Welcome, Legal News and Views. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And we'd like to know who you are somewhat. Uh, it's a live call-in radio show. And we want you to join us, 812-882-3737, hopefully with a question of a legal nature. But we'll talk about anything, because Dave doesn't have any stories. He's not prepared at all. I'm completely prepared. That was just to you know, get you pumped up. Oh, well, you fooled me. I could tell. <laughs> they're not great, but they're stories of sorts. What, what Dave is uh, stammering to tell you is that uh, if you don't call in and tell us what you want to hear, uh, <clears throat> we talk about things uh, we hope are interesting, entertaining, uh, and maybe educational. Otherwise, uh, uh, that's the way the show will go. Now, we don't need to know specifics. Uh, just kind of give us a general idea. That way we're not going to defame or offend anyone. Hopefully. Oh, we can do that. Well, we can, but uh, I don't know that the can't we Can't we fix that by just saying, in my opinion, uh, or allegedly... That didn't help uh, Rudy Giuliani. I I usually just say, uh, Dave says. Eh, Well, they can't tell us apart. It's like (laughs) click and clack. Which one's Tom? Which one's Ray? Yeah, Rudy Giuliani got hit with some sanctions because uh, two election workers in Georgia had said he was maligning them and defaming them, saying they had mishandled ballots or had done something along those lines, and during the course of the trial, he admitted, well, yeah, I, I said those things, and I guess he'd made some other admissions, and then he says, but it's just my opinion, and I'm, I have a free speech right to say that, but in any event, the judge has determined, and based upon the filings of Giuliani and his legal team, that he did, in fact, defame these two women, and I would think the judge sanctioned him for $136,000 in their attorney's fees, and there will still be a trial on the damages. to determine damages. Yep. And the judge, I think, is unhappy with Rudy. Ah. And uh, $136,000 is a pretty good uh, sanction, and so I don't know what their damages would be, but I think they're going to say things like, People were mean to us. People threatened to kill us. People uh, oh, talked poorly about us. I don't even know they have to say that. It's uh, He was mean to me. Well, yeah, when you get to the damages phase, but the damages in, in defamation could be $1. That's true. You win. Here's a dollar. Well, $136,000 in attorney fees is not $1. Well, I bet the damages are pretty high up there, and then Rudy will have to go back to his pal former President Trump and say, hey, I need some money. The other thing on that, along the same lines, is uh, in the New York case where they they say Trump had uh, overstated his real estate values and such to get loans and bank fraud, and I don't really follow it that closely, but the banks asked the judge, said, we don't want all our Trump records made public, and the judge says, too bad. (laughs) Uh, They're going to be made public, and I think I saw one story where he had over 
allegedly, see what I did there? Yes. Not in my opinion, because I don't know, but allegedly had overstated. According to the New York Attorney General, he has allegedly. Overstated his uh, the assets in by billions of dollars, not I was off by a hundred thousand. It was billions of dollars overstated. My question, and banks don't like to hear this, is: Did did you walk around? Did you, did you somebody go out and look at it? It's called an appraisal. Yeah, I got eight million people working for me in the Trump Tower. Did, do you see eight million people in that building? The banks involved in the Trump loans have previously stated that. Um, yeah, we, the loans were okay. They were they met all their requirements. In other words, they're saying we did due diligence, and and uh, it's the attorney general who says no, no, no. He lied to you, and, and the banks are not the ones complaining. Yeah, yeah. Where's the fraud there? If the bank's happy and the and the and Trump and the person who borrowed the money is happy, it's really no one else's business, is it? But. Although uh, you do sign things when you make financial statements, you know I affirm under the penalties for perjury that these are all true and exact. And uh, I have a follow-up uh, story from 2020. I doubt our listeners remember this because I didn't until I read it. it involves a, a disturbed Texas woman, uh, Nika Nikobin, and in 2020. She uh, got on the internet, uh, got a man somehow to come to her bedroom, put a blindfold on him. I, I know how she did that, Jeff. Yes. That's how women always do it. They're, they're a woman. Uh, blindfolded him and stabbed him in the neck twice. Okay, that, that may have gone too far. With a pink steak knife. <laughs> pink, I don't know the significance. Turns out she is uh, certifiably bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. At the time of the attack, she claimed that she did it as a revenge for the U.S. killing Iranian General Qasem Soleimani in 2020. Uh, I remember that. He was getting off an airplane or something, and he was droned to death. He was. Uh, turns out she just came up with that. Uh, she now says, uh, after being uh, sentenced to three years of probation... What? Only three years for this? Well, apparently she didn't hit anything important in the guy's neck. Um, but uh, Yeah, but that went back to tender. Worst first date ever. She says that she was hallucinating. She was off her meds, <laughs> oh really, and drinking. Uh, and she hallucinated that she was really uh, Salma Hayek from the 1996 movie From Dusk Till Dawn. Movies I don't know about. Well, I, I do. Uh, Rod, uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh, one of the first movies that uh, made him famous, actually starred uh, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino, uh, another movie director. Uh, but Salma Hayek does a, a nice little dance in a well, that explains the, little bikini with a snake wrapped around it. That her. explains the knife in the neck if Quentin Tarantino was involved somehow. <laughs> well, uh, and as a result, she said, I've, I've uh, had a, this a dream, or I guess she thought she was, the Salma Hayek character who eventually turns into a vampire. Um, 
Did she have a past criminal history or? No, but obviously uh, mental health issues. She's publishing a book in which she hopes to raise awareness about mental health issues. Oh, really? I have a feeling we're talking about someone who can't go very far without being the center of attention. I thought three years was that was pretty light. Well, again, the the, the guy after he was stabbed uh, was able to wrestle uh, her away and. Uh, and apparently uh, was not life-threatening. <laughs> There'll be more Legal News and Views, 97.3 FM, 97.7 FM. 1450 AM. We'll be right back. Have you ever missed one of your favorite local shows on WAOV? Ever missed the morning chat, Mark and Mark, or even financial questions, real answers? Well, that's not a problem anymore. WAOV has our local shows on podcast and easy to get to them. Go to WAOVAM.com and click on the podcast tab at the top to find your show. It's that easy. So if you miss Vintage Vincent, legal news or views, or just the tips, listen to the podcast the next day. Go to WAOVAM.com and find your podcasts. And we're back. Legal News and Views. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. Locally, they use Versed. Uh, Indy uses Profocol. Good stuff. Good stuff. Milk of Amnesia. Oh, just beautiful. Yeah. 812 You wake up refreshed. 3737. Yes. Apparently, I'm hilarious when I'm under. Oh, <laughs> well, that's Versed. Versed, my wife, uh, several times, and I've said to my wife, uh, well, what'd the doctor say? That's the thousandth time you've asked me that. I'm tired of telling you what the doctor said. Oh, oh, oh okay. Now, Profocol, you just wake up, and, and you don't have that. But um. All right. Kevin Costner, Christine Baumgartner, having a... Oh, yeah, I have that story, too. They're having a go at it, and it's typical divorce where things get ugly. Uh, she signed a, and he signed a 2004 prenuptial agreement, and apparently uh, she's not been happy with it. One of the provisions was if she filed for divorce, she had to get out of the house within 30 days, which she didn't do. I think she finally uh, got out. She was not. Oh, the court ordered her out. She's not happy with the amount of uh, child support, which I think is 8000 a month. No, no, actually, um, three kids. I've got it here. Um, she asked for 175,000 per month. The court ordered Costner to pay 129,000 per month. Per month. Per month. Uh, she's not happy with spousal support because that's just for the kids. Yeah. Now she says now that uh, she's filed new documents that the the whole problem here is that she felt pressured into uh, signing the prenuptial, which is often people raise that. Uh, after the fact, they said, I didn't understand or I was forced to do it. And I thought this was an interesting, um, her lawyer says, Kevin has a vast estate, court documents stated. In July of '04, Kevin's financial disclosure attached to the agreement consisted of 15 pages of bank accounts, investments, retirement accounts, real estate, land holdings, investments and businesses, other assets and liabilities. And her claim is, well, I need to go back to before 2004 in this case because despite t taking a vast estate and 15 pages to disclose it, she says that there may have been more. So if he didn't tell me everything he had, I should be uh, allowed out of the prenuptial. I'm not sure because 
you know, he apparently he was the property spouse or the more property spouse. And you know, if uh, she's well, saying, if I would he, say yes, yes. If he had hidden assets, that gee, if I, if I'd known he was twice as rich, I wouldn't have married him. I, or I wouldn't I don't have signed understand. a premarital agreement. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is, other than uh, you know, you you're supposed to put down everything, and I suppose technically. They could say, well, we found this account you had in 2003, and you didn't disclose it, so the whole prenup uh, gets thrown out. I think she's going to have a hard time after, what is it, almost uh, 20 years of saying, I didn't understand, or he didn't tell me everything, or I felt uh, pressured. Now, of course, Costner's team says, you know, this is just harassment, trying to force some kind of a settlement because nobody wants to go back over 20 years ago and try to determine, you know, is this everything? And if you're trying to do a prenuptial and if you're the person with a lot of money, you probably want to be as uh, accurate as possible. There would be no possible incentive I can think of for him to hide anything at that point unless there was some kind of funny business going on. Well, the part of the story that I have deals with uh, something I don't know that we've talked much about on the show, which is discovery. And that is, in modern litigation, you have the right to find out what the other side knows uh, through interrogatories, requests for productions, or requests for admissions. And in this particular case, uh, the First of all, Christine Baumgartner and her lawyers said that uh, Costner was not producing all of the um, economic information that they wanted. And uh, apparently Costner's team hit Christine Baumgartner with requests for admissions, basically saying, did you sign this um, uh, prenuptial agreement? Is that your signature? Uh, did you under And it's a, according to this, uh, it's a fairly good prenuptial agreement in that she was represented by a lawyer, and the lawyer also signed off on it, saying I told her all the things that she was. Yeah, I was going to point up. that out. Independent representation, kind of. She may have a claim against her lawyer who reviewed it, but so she, uh, her lawyers, have answered the request for admissions uh, without ever admitting or denying anything. Uh, so Gossner's lawyers have now asked the judge Deem to, them them admitted. For, to compel discovery and give them $14,000 plus because of their having to compel discovery. So it is not going well in the Gossner divorce. Well, Jeff, it's going well for the lawyers. No, There's true. a lot of lawyers there. There are photos with this story. Yeah. Lee Meyer was taking his bull, mm -hmm. named Howdy Doody, for a ride when police performed a routine, routine traffic stop. Now, you might think this giant adult bull was in a trailer, but no, he was in the front seat of this guy's car <laughs> in Nebraska. And he's a huge bull. Bull bull. He's, oh, hang, yeah. he's hanging, I mean, he's cut out the half the windshield and half the roof of this car. It's not even a convertible. No. He's sticking out there, and the, he was... Pulled over for driving with the biggest front, front seat passenger imaginable. They responded to a call about a bull riding shotgun with the man on the highway. The man identified as Lee Meyer of Nelly was driving with a bull named Howdy Doody. Authorities performed a routine traffic stop. I'm not sure that would be routine. 
and saw a yellow barrier on the side of the car to keep the ball inside. The officers received a call referencing a car driving into town that had a cow in it. They thought it was going to be a calf or something. You would, I mean, if you once you get your head around having an animal in your car of that size, you think small, but this is a giant bull. The traffic stopped him, addressed some traffic violations that were occurring with that particular situation. They wrote him some warnings. There was uh, had some uh, driving issues um, that gave them probable cause to stop him, not to mention this it's kind of a handsome-looking bull. Um, back in 2019, this guy uh, drove his bull howdy-doody down a parade route in town. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure exactly one, how you would get this animal into your car. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, so uh, you can look that up and see that on the World Wide Web, I suppose. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a bull with such large set of horns. It's, I think it's a lo- Texas Longhorn. Well, they it's, are uh, long. It's, it's supersized. It's a huge bull. Yeah, those those could be four or five feet between the points and each uh, horn is two or three feet long, but uh, although I may be full of bull, I don't know much about them. <laughs> uh, in Colorado is a, I guess it's a, a charter school, or maybe it is even a private school. Vanguard is the name, uh, fairly exclusive, and uh, has uh, won some awards nationwide for being a good school to go to. Uh, a 12-year-old who's only identified as Jaden uh, had a backpack which displayed uh, a Gadsden flag patch. Now, if you're not familiar with the Gadsden flag... Don't tread on me. It's the snake uh, with the, the slogan, Don't Tread on Me, which was one of the earliest Revolutionary War flags under which American troops fought. Uh, the snake was divided into, at that time, uh, 13 colonies with each part of the snake identified. Uh, The the mother of the 12-year-old and the 12-year-old were called into the uh, administration of the school, uh, and the mother uh, was uh, able to videotape when the administrator said, well, you can't come to school with that backpack because the Gadsden flag has slave origins. Uh, now, it also turns out he had some other patches, I think, of semi-automatic weapons, which were objectionable. Uh, but the mother posted the video. Uh, that caused a big stir. And the Board of Education for uh, Vanguard School finally said, oh, uh, there's been a mistake here. We didn't really mean to suspend him. And obviously the Gadsden flag does not have an origin in uh, slavery. Uh, And it's an expression of American uh, freedom. Uh, So he will be allowed to wear the Gadsden flag patch, but not the semi-automatic weapons patches. Uh, So another... I think, example of peer pressure or group pressure. Uh, Once some actions see the light of day, uh, and a lot of people say, what? The uh, people who acted on it go, oh, we didn't really mean that. We didn't mean what we said. Uh, This guy found a bag 
in a parking lot containing $5,000. He kept it. Three months later, he got charged with theft. Connecticut man said he found the bag containing 5000 in cash lying in a parking lot of a bank. I'm not sure why you wouldn't inquire if you found a bag of cash outside of a bank. Um, Maybe he needed $5,000. He said he made the discovery. Uh, I walked out onto the parking lot, saw something on the ground. There was no one around, so I picked it up. It's not like I stole something. He, just, he said it was spontaneous, emphasizing he didn't plan anything in advance. According to the police department news release, he kept the bag, believing that it was no obligation to return it to its rightful owner. Is there obligation to return found property, Jeff? Ah, uh, <clears throat> it depends on the circumstances, I would say, and I'm not sure we know all the circumstances here. Well, the police said the bag was clearly marked with the bank's logo. He just was in that bank <laughs> and contained documents identifying uh, the owner as the, the town of Trumbull. So it was a deposit that got lost. Ah. So there's cash and a deposit slip with the town and the bank. This sounds like a wonderful life. Uh, Uncle, yeah. Uncle Billy uh, losing the deposit and the old man Potter holding on to it. Which I like the uh, Saturday Night Live alternative ending where they go and kill old man Potter. <laughs> he was charged with uh, third-degree larceny. Larceny was released on promise to appear in court. So yeah, he says he found it, but I think it's like finding someone's wallet with their ID in it and cash. So lucky me, I found a wallet and some cash. He but it was at the time I found it, it was empty. Exactly. <laughs> More Legal News Reviews, 97.3, FM, 14.50 AM. We'll be right back with Least Competent Criminals. And we're back, Legal News and Views. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And time now for that regularly scheduled segment of the program known as... Least Competent Criminals. That's right. Uh, we've got two nominees... Back in January, uh, two individuals decided they were going to burn down the Bakersfield, California Immigration Services Building. Now, I had obviously protesters of some sort. I don't know what they were protesting. But uh, there's a security camera that captured them pouring gasoline around the building's base. But for anyone who has handled gasoline or a gasoline-type fire... Uh, when one bent to light the fire, the flames spread to both people who were, in a sense, consumed by uh, the gas, gasoline um, uh, fumes. Uh, so they were both caught fire and were easily caught because they had to go to the hospital for burns. Uh, then we have a porch pirate. Now that's typically refers to somebody who steals packages off a porch. Robin Swanger of Arnco, Georgia, stole a porch. Uh, it was the neighbor's yard, and the house had been moved, but the porch was left standing. Swanger just simply went onto the property and moved the porch over to his property. Uh, obviously making it easy for somebody to determine that it had been stolen and where who had stolen it and where it had gone. Sure, it wasn't just abandoned like the 5K in the bank parking lot? Oh, well, he found it. Founders, yep. Yeah. Yeah, have you any nominees? 
I think I had that one, actually. Actually, okay. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's Least Competent Criminals. Thank you. Thank you very much. I saw a news story in the U.S. Open in New York, and they were complaining that since marijuana has been legalized for recreational use, that the aroma of marijuana was wafting into the stadium. Yeah. And it was affecting the players and the crowd. They could smell it. And the reporter says that you can smell marijuana everywhere in New York all the time. Most people are used to beer and urine smells, but (laughs) marijuana would be refreshing. Having said that, an American tourist apparently in Thailand filled up a fog machine. You know those things that you can yes. they make uh, cool effects in movies or bands use them. Sure. He filled it with marijuana and blasted a street with smoke at a popular tourist destination to pr- promote his business, police say. They filled it up with marijuana, and the police outlined their accusations in a Facebook post on Monday because that's where you put all your charges, apparently, these days is on Facebook. Um, He used the fog machine uh, at about 2.30 a.m. The street, a beach resort town in uh, a town in Thailand that you can't I can't say on the air because I would mispronounce it, and it sounds uh, obscene has been known for its uh, nightlife for years. According to the re- report, he admitted that he had acted no- unknowingly to create content promoting marijuana that was sold abroad and did not think it would be inappro- inappropriate. So he was fogging the place with marijuana because he has a marijuana business elsewhere. So um, that, I suppose, could become a trend where you just walk in and the entire ambiance is, well... 1972 in college, apparently. Not sure I have all the facts of this coming story. Uh, It deals with uh, Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority, which is a nationwide sorority, large sorority. I know at IU, a fairly well-known sorority. At the University of Wyoming's Kappa Kappa Gamma, uh, it apparently... um, the membership is determined by the University of Wyoming and the National Kappa Kappa Gamma Sorority. In March of this year, Artemis Langford, obviously born a male, uh, claims to be female, uh, was allowed into the sorority. Uh, about seven of the other sorority members filed a lawsuit in the federal court saying, hey, uh, this guy is not. He's not taking the hormones. He doesn't shave. Um, apparently, and the picture of him is he's, he's a very large uh, individual. Um, obese might be the better word. Uh, and so he's not doing anything that would try to make him female. And they say all he does is glare at the other uh, sorority sisters. Uh, the federal judge, and I think rightfully so, said, eh, you don't got a claim here. I think your remedy, if it is any, is you quit the sorority uh, if you don't like it. Uh, I think, didn't someone comment on that, that you could just be blackballed? 
No pun intended. Well, see, uh, at IU, I know that the sororities, the local sorority, has a right to select who they invite. But, let's just but this apparently is not the case at the University of Wyoming. Because, like, fraternities or sororities, you just get one person that says no, and they have an absolute veto power, so... Yeah, and, and that has been the subject of other lawsuits uh, based on discrimination uh, for uh, impermissible categories. See, San Francisco's losing some business um, and um, conventions because of the homeless and crime problem, and this will make it a lot better. San Francisco bakery refusing to serve police officers because its policy does not allow guns inside the store. So they're asking this cop, to, you can't be in here, you have a gun. Yeah, I have a gun, that's my job. Um, San Francisco Police Officers Association responded uh, that the local bakery chain had denied service to an officer who was in uniform. Uh, no cops allowed. The confirmed the policy of the bakery chain, Reams, R-E-E-M-S, apostrophe S, the union said in its post on August 24th, it uh, included a screenshot of an email from Reams sent to the association that said the, it has a policy to, to not serve anyone that is armed in a uniform. So it doesn't say anyone that's armed. It just says anyone that's armed in a uniform. So it's unclear if it applies to everyone who is armed or only those who are wearing uniforms. Uh, Bakery didn't return a request for comment from this article uh, it seems to me... Uh, now, the story that I have on that says the sign said, no cops allowed. No, that was the, I think that was the the um, post on Twitter, now known as X, I think. Yeah. Um, I think they were, the, the, their association, I guess, like the police union was upset. I don't think they actually had a sign. Well, I, I have a remedy here for Reams Bakery. Uh, flash mob. Uh, that's Jeff saying that. <laughs> but my point, yeah, you, you make a good point. You say, hey, this is Reams. We're being robbed. Well, sorry, throw him out. He's not supposed to have a gun. We'll come down and help us. No, we we have uniforms and guns. We will not be yeah. in there. <laughs> uh, Fifteen years ago, Thomas Randolph was married to Sharon Causey. Uh, she died, uh, apparently um, killed by a gentleman named Miller. Uh, he was tried, uh, Thomas Randolph was tried, uh, in 2017 in Nevada, found guilty of murdering his wife, but the Nevada Supreme Court uh, threw the case out, sent it back for trial, saying that the jurors should not be allowed to hear prior bad act evidence involving his 1986 Utah arrest for the death of his second wife, Becky Gull. Um, he's been retried and has been found guilty, much to the relief of Colleen Byer, the daughter of the sixth wife. Um, Police now believe that he's a predator uh, and, uh, and do suspect him of having killed prior wives. Um, the guy who killed the wife, Miller, uh, was his handyman. 
And he uh, apparently testified that he had no relationship with Miller, and the police were able to show hundreds of phone calls between the pair. Uh, the alleged motive, $300,000 in insurance money on his sixth wife. Actually, the case was the subject of Dateline's 2021 miniseries, The Widower. Bunch of red flags there. I think we go to break, our final break, here on Legal News and Views, 97.3, 97.7 FM, 1450 AM, 812-882-3737 is your ticket to enlightenment. News. Have you ever missed one of your favorite local shows on WAOV? Ever missed the morning chat, Mark and Mark, or even financial questions, real answers? Well, that's not a problem anymore. WAOV has our local shows on podcast and easy to get to them. Go to WAOVAM.com and click on the podcast tab at the top to find your show. It's that easy. So if you miss Vintage Vincent, legal news or views, or just the tips, listen to the podcast the next day. Go to WAOVAM.com and find your podcast. And we're back with the news and views. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. Still time for your call, 812-882-3737. This is a not a follow-up. It's a perennial problem, I guess, if you're in the restaurant business. Burger King has to stand trial because its Whopper sandwich in the pictures is not as big as the actual product. U.S. Federal District Judge in Miami said Burger King has to defend against the claim that its pictures of Whoppers on the in-store menu mislead reasonable customers, amounting to a breach of contract. The customers accused Burger King of making the burgers look with ingredients that overflow over the bun, making it appear the burgers are 35% larger and contain more than double the meat as the chain serves. So you're looking at a picture, you're looking at the actual product, you have some expert opine, well, I can tell from that picture that the actual product is 35% smaller. I don't understand that. Uh, Burger King, I think, reasonably said, it's not required to deliver burgers that look exactly like the pictures, but the judge said, it's up to the jurors, uh, tell us what reasonable people think. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I'm sure Burger King's lawyers were saying, what the what? Uh, he dismissed claims based on TV and online ads, finding that none in which Burger King promised a burger size or patty weight and, or, and failed to deliver it. So it's only the in-store menus. Burger King and his lawyers did not immediately respond to requests for comments. Now, we've done a bunch of these stories. They're, they're perennial. And... So you got an advertising company that says, here's what your burger will look like, and here's you can change the price or whatever, and they're saying, we're going to make this look appealing. You're trying to sell something. I don't, I'm not sure it's an offer and acceptance and breach, but that's the premise of it. Well, I know the burger joints have been sued before because a quarter pounder after you cook it isn't a quarter pounder. And, and, and a foot long at Subway is yeah, not a foot not long? a foot long, no. Um, I, I don't know. Surely people have better things to do than that. Uh, I We did a story a long, long time ago. I remember it was a, a French co-pilot. I think Marconi was running the board that day. Who <laughs> locked the pilot out of the cockpit and crashed the jet into the side of a mountain because he was tired of living. 
which has always led me ever since when I get on a plane and I see the pilot. Where, How's it going? Where do you see us it's about two hours from now? <laughs> yeah, is life treating you okay, bud? And that brings me to this story. Uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, United Airlines pilot Kenneth Henderson Jones, 63 years of age, said he hit his breaking point August the 2nd. He took an axe to an employee parking lot gate. Uh, he, he apparently not with much effort because the sheath was still on the blade. He took the sheath off and then finally broke the lock. By that time, security guards were in pursuit. After a brief struggle, he was charged with misdemeanor criminal mischief and later released. United Airlines says uh, he's been removed from the schedule. Thank you for that. Uh, Jones told the deputies he was trying to get rid of issues for everyone waiting in the exit lines, whatever that means. The gate was slowing them down. I guess. Ah, Chicago. They have a lot of violence up there, too, I hear, if you believe the media. The Chicago TV crew was reporting on a string of robberies in the city's West Town neighborhood, and they became part of the story themselves when they were robbed at gunpoint during their news show. <laughs> a reporter and photographer for Spanish-language TV uh, were filming just before 5 a.m. in North Mil Milwaukee Avenue when three men wearing ski masks and with guns robbed them at gunpoint. They were approached with guns and robbed. Uh, mainly it was uh, personal items, and they took a camera. The Chicago police identified the victims 28-year-old male and a 42-year-old male. They were outside when the three men drove up. After taking the items, they fled southbound in their vehicles. No injuries were reported. Um, that's a great story. They gave 100%, maybe 110%. But hanging out in that neighborhood at that time of day may not have been a good decision. No. It's a shame that those things happen. I mean, I think sometimes... People with news credentials and a camera think that, hey, I'm just a news reporter, so rioters, police, they think they're invisible or um, uh, you know, really not part of the uh, large event going on. So at least they're okay. Well, I have a watermelon story, somewhat timely here um, as we end the watermelon season. And it comes from New York, apparently. NBC New York had a segment on uh, one of their shows about exploding watermelons. Um, they had talked to Keith Schneider, professor of food science and human nutrition at the University of Florida, who said, well, it's probably due to the heat. If slightly damaged, the fruit, the watermelon, can begin fermenting. This produces a gas and enough internal pressure may build up for the watermelon to crack or pop. He says, don't eat it. It's undergoing decay. Take it back to the store and get a replacement or just toss it. According to Schneider, put the melon in the refrigerator before and after cutting it. Um, that's good advice. I, I've never had an exploding melon. Uh, Airbnb, uh, this was a professor who had... Uh rented an Airbnb, which was listed as a, I think, um, one-bedroom, uh, one-bathroom home in Vancouver, British Columbia. The professor left a four-out-of-five-star review with a positive message. 
and the host then started contacting her at her personal number with increasingly threatening texts because my review brought their average down from 5 to 4.95. And the host, who is still listed on Airbnb, didn't like it. She gave him a, didn't give him a top rating, but the professor left positive feed, feedback saying she had enjoyed the stay and would rebook that location if she was there again. And nevertheless, apparently this person took offense to the four-star rating and decided to take action. He was saying things and texting, uh, I'm going to find your home address, and I know where you live. I have your picture, your name, and your number. And um, that's, that's not going to improve his ratings, I'm afraid. So. No, no, I agree. Thomas Howie lives in Madison Heights, Michigan. His favorite restaurant was, I emphasize was, the Detroit Olive Garden restaurant, or local Olive Garden restaurant. In March, he claims, uh, he was eating a spoonful of minestrone soup when he felt a stab. He spit out the offending object, which to him appeared to be the foot of a rat with fur and claws. He says, my stomach just heaved. I threw up right in the restaurant. Uh, and he can't believe it. He is now suing the owners of Olive Garden for $25,000. Olive Garden says, uh, we have no reason to believe there's any validity to this claim. Uh, Howie did get a tetanus shot to treat the cut in his mouth and took the foot to the police. So... Uh, I know you're not a golfer, and me neither, really, but sometimes they have a (laughs) hole-in-one prize which is a car. In this case, uh, it was a Mercedes-Benz in Florida. Anyone who got a hole-in-one uh, would get uh, win a $90,000 new car, Mercedes. Uh, this lady, Linda Chen of Orange County, uh, actually hit a hole-in-one on the correct hole and hey. went to collect her prize, and she never got the keys or the title. The event uh, was a fundraiser called Fins on the Fairway, uh, offer the Mercedes E-Class as a prize to amateur golfers only. When Chen went to claim her prize, the guy who uh, was running it says, well, our, those, they buy insurance for that, so that's not the, the charity that has to cough that up. But they said, you're not eligible. And apparently they uh, found out that she had been a professional golfer 15 years ago. Ah. And according to the golf associations, and she's no, she's not a professional golfer now, but right. she used to be. Well, 15 years ago, I, I would assume her skills have diminished somewhat. Well, even if they haven't, if it says uh, not open to professional golfers, they need to be more specific and say never a professional golfer. So she uh, is suing them for $90,000. So. Oh. And the problem with that is if she gets $90,000 in damages, does she still have to pay bonus income, income taxes? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, those prizes, those hole-in-one prizes. Can cost you a lot of money. Are income taxable. Yeah, a lot of people will decline because they can't afford the. They get the keys to the car and a tax bill. For, and it's not a, not your typical income tax. It's a higher rate as a prize. Well, I think uh, savvy uh, prize givers... Uh, now offer a sizable amount of cash as well, knowing that there's going to be a tax liability. For example, I think there's a DIY show or something on TV where you can, uh, in a raffle, you can get one of these houses they built, like a lake cottage or a mountain cabin, and they, uh, they'll say, and $100,000 cash, and that's for the tax on the 
I would have to see the neighborhood because real estate's location, location, location. Uh, Suffolk, uh, England has a problem, uh, not unusual. Uh, an area of town uh, that is a high level of crime and antisocial behavior. Uh, it's the local church graveyard. Uh, in England, uh, you may know, gravestones or tombstones are, are, are like uh, coffins above grounds, and apparently they're being used for alcohol, drugs, and sometimes uh, sexual activity. Uh, police are recommending, not yet required, but that the individual tombstones be enclosed or surrounded by small railings along the top edge to deter such activities. Council said the recommendation is under consideration. Uh, we'll, so we, we've got our music going. Uh, so that kind of brings to a close this week's legal news and views. United Way kickoff. Did Tom Lee talk about that down at the pavilion, four to six? Uh, go out tonight and enjoy the day after the blue moon. Uh, the moon was extraordinarily bright. It will be again tonight, but not quite so blue, not quite so super. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. Legal News and Views, 97.3, FM, 14.50 AM. We'll be back next week. Listening to the Talk of the Town 97.7 FM and 1450 AM WAOV Vincennes and 97.3 FM WAOV Washington. I'm Tom Graham. President Biden made a surprise visit to FEMA headquarters this afternoon after Hurricane Adalia ripped into Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. He's blaming a warming climate. There's still some deniers out there.